Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to Tech Sisters Stories. Tech Sisters is a community that connects you with other sisters who share your story, experiences, and goals so you no longer have to feel like the only one like you on your team. My name is Grace, and I get to interview the amazing women in our community, share their stories, and the lessons they learned. Today on Tech Sisters Stories, we are very happy to have Alia Khan. Alia is a product manager at Pear Team, and she is passionate about the opportunities that exist at the intersection of health and advocacy. She likes to apply the diversity of her educational experience, community organizing skills, and health-based practice to create transformative solutions, especially for communities who need it most. Mashallah, so happy to have you here, Alia. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Grace, for having me. I'm really excited to talk. How did you first get into all of this? So um, I want to say I quite literally fell into it. And it's been so interesting to listen to your podcast episodes because I feel like, at least from the ones I've heard, there are a lot of folks, mashallah, who are like, yeah, I, I knew I wanted to be involved in this in some way. And that was not the case for me. <laughs> um, I feel like I spent, honestly, a majority of my life and even through my college career thinking that being in tech meant you had to be like an engineer or a software developer or you were in finance or business in some way but I was always interested in like healthcare and medicine and advocacy and so in my head I was like okay well there's no place for me there even though I used tech on a daily basis but you know it didn't click in that way but I would say like my first big exposure of realizing that this is maybe something I wanted to do was actually when I did my master's program. So I did a master's in global medicine and we had really cool opportunities to like go abroad or go in person to visit certain organizations or places to learn more in depth. So I had the opportunity to visit the UN headquarters in New York. And one of the sessions we had was all about their tech and innovations department and it was incredible to see like what they were doing and using something as small as like data points to figure out how different diseases were spreading or trying to like monitor early on how they could help underserved communities with like certain infectious diseases which I think became even more relevant during COVID. So after I graduated I was still really figuring out what I wanted to do with my degree and happened upon a rollout care team, which was actually not a PM role. I still had no idea what a PM was at that time, but it was being a care coordinator, which I was very familiar with and was essentially like the remote version of what I had been doing previously as a medical assistant. So being at Pair team was really my first exposure to tech and alhamdulillah is what eventually led me to my role now. Okay, alhamdulillah. So there's a bunch of interesting points. So I think that it's and about 50-50 of people who actually knew that they wanted yeah. to be in tech. <laughs> people who I feel like maybe it was just the recent ones where I was like, wow, they just all knew. Just knew. No, I always yeah. find it kind of funny to my, like I inwardly laugh when people are like, this is a very unusual story. And I'm like, no, it's not. That's <laughs> <laughs> so great. I love it. <laughs> but this is kind of the thing is it feels very unique to, to us. And of course, this is our own experiences, but this is kind of why we have Texas through so that people will listen to this be like, oh yeah, you know, a lot of other people just kind of fall into this as well. Also, in regards to product management specifically, I think this is a very interesting thing because people are interested in what a PM does. This is kind of mysterious yeah. from the outside. 
and how to transition into PM. So you're coming into this with a global health background, advocacy background, and you're seeing this at work at Parateam. What did you need to do? Or I guess, how did you identify that you wanted to go into the PM track? And then what kind of skills did you need to help you transition into there? Yeah, definitely. So I think one of the biggest things that helped was the fact that I came on very early on to a very early stage startup. This makes a big difference. So, yeah. yeah, at that point, there was only five of us. And so several of us were expected to wear a ton of different hats. I kind of naturally gravitated towards being the person that would communicate most with the engineering team. So at the time, I was the user of our product, as well mm -hmm. as the person communicating the most with patients and physicians who may have been our end users with what we were trying to build. So I think that is what kind of helped me set up that track. And I was really thankful for the people on my team, like the CEO, who honestly planted that seed. Of, you should consider, you know, this is what a PM does, essentially. Like you're already taking mm -hmm. on a lot of those responsibilities. And it definitely took a lot of advocacy from myself to be like, okay, let me look into this. This is definitely what I want to do. I feel like I have the skill set for it because I'm already so familiar as a user and with our eventual end users that I would want to play a more influential role in building this product. So I kind of had to have several like conversations of being like, all right, what do I need to do and how can I demonstrate that before I could finally kind of take on the official role of PM? Yeah. So I think there, again, this is a lot that's like really good. So the biggest advantage of working at a very early stage company is that there's a lot of fluidity between the roles. So you yes. can come in there and you're not really sure what you want to specialize in. And you can try out a lot of things because they need people who can do lots of different things. They need generalists more than specialists at that stage, right? Definitely. Yeah. And then you're having the big advantage of your skill set being recognized by your by your boss and then advocating for you and suggesting to you putting this on, on your radar and then being able to see that in yourself and ad, like you said advocate for yourself and say okay this is what I want to do and asking for help and clarity on what are the next steps that you need to take to to get where to where you want to be exactly yeah um and one thing that definitely played a role in that was they were able to pay for me to take a course in how to mm. be a product manager. And I think that was supplemental to what I was doing because it was like I was practicing the day-to-day -day responsibilities while maybe like learning more of like the background information or the lingo or how, how to, to write a user story. How to exactly. <laughs> the how-tos of the specifics, but being able to like actually demonstrate it on a day-to-day -day basis at work. So that yes. was extremely helpful. Yes, yes. So in so in my role, so I've transitioned from being an engineer into being a, a product manager. And I think those core skills of being able to communicate really, really well, of being able to align the what's going on technically with the product with what is the business case and to be able to yeah. communicate that to the other teams. That's like the core bit. And that's where you were already doing in your role before doing that anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was extremely helpful. And I think it felt like that was my strength. Like I really loved doing that. I loved being able to like communicate with all the different teams. So that was probably like my first like jumping ground of being like, yeah, I want to do this. Amazing. Alhamdulillah. And now that you've been doing this, do you see yourself continuing further down the product track being 
like just going up and deeper into the product itself or maybe going more into the management side of things people management that yeah that's hard to say because I feel like I'm a little at a little bit of a crossroads with that right now um but I think at this point in time I do want to go deeper into the product side uh, just because I've had now more experience doing this I want to learn more of the technical skills and kind of expand like my breadth of knowledge on that side yeah, amazing. Mashallah, may Allah make that easy for you. It's, um, yeah, it, it's a tough thing to kind of decide like where you're going to go next. And I think it's also very interesting to compare at different, like companies are at different stages, like a company that is like very early stage versus a company that's like at a scaling stage, because that's where I'm at now as a company that's scaling up and everything is like very topsy-turvy because you have to pivot yeah. and change very fast. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. I definitely have experience with several pivots and changes on a daily, monthly, yearly basis. Would you say that to some degree you have to be very adaptive in what your role is going to be because that description, your roles and responsibilities will adapt as the business changes and evolves? Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think it's been interesting because, um, like I would describe an early stage startup as like pure chaos. Yeah. And some people thrive in chaos. And I think I felt that way. Like I loved having the ability to like jump around, do several different things, but also had to learn how to sustain myself through that because it can get very exhausting. And also realize when I should start saying no to certain things because I did need to refine my skills if I wanted to like stick to product management like at one point I was doing both clinical care coordination and product management that's a lot yeah but wasn't (laughs) able to like put enough towards one and then also was like felt very emotionally connected to patients that I was responsible for taking care of yeah so it's it's definitely a benefit in some ways depending on a person's like strengths and what they enjoy but I think it has been a really great lesson in boundary setting as well. <laughs> Which is a, like a really key lesson. I was just talking to somebody else who's like a very senior person on her company. And she was saying that setting boundaries and being very comfortable and confident with the boundaries is like a really, really core skill set that we develop early on in our careers. Like the earlier develop that and that you're very conscious of like what is motivating you? What are you okay with? What are you not okay with? And being very comfortable with communicating that to your colleagues, that's going to do nothing but help you. <laughs> like, that's such an important yeah. thing. Definitely. I'm, I'm still learning and hopefully getting better at it, but I completely agree with that. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. What are some assumptions that you feel that people might have about you or about your role? Yeah, that's a good question. I think when it comes to my role, a lot of people have no idea what that means. But yeah, so that's always really fun. I love when people ask my loved ones what I do exactly. And they're all like jumbled words like, oh, like health and tech. And she like talks to people and there's engineers there. And she has a lot of meetings. That's all I know. She's on meetings all the time. (laughs) Exactly. So I would say that's the first thing is there's, you know, they they don't actually know what I do. And then I think for the folks that maybe have knowledge or experience working with PMs, it is a really different experience, again, working at 
working as a PM at a very early stage startup where we've had to pivot so many times and where a lot of my responsibilities, like Ahamla, I think now are much more PM oriented, but may still, I may still have a longer list of things that I have to carry out than other PMs at more established companies might because we don't have other roles that can take on some of that work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the things about being the PM is when you're sitting in the middle of these different spheres, if there isn't the capacity to share that load, then you can end up with everything, like doing the QA Mm -hmm. yourself. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that takes a lot of time, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Doing doing QA, also being the copyright. Yeah. Also being the person that's, you know, like tweaking the designs. Yeah. Yeah. Tweaking it all. It's all the things. And I think like holistically, again, it's been like a really great experience Mm. learning about all of those things. And I think I have a much stronger knowledge and background of the product because of it. But again, with the boundary setting, understanding like what is it that I genuinely have to do and do well in order to support the rest of my team. And sometimes spending hours and hours on QA may not be it. (laughs) Fair. I think this also kind of goes back to what you're saying and the reasons why you got into this in the first place was being very passionate about healthcare and about the way that technology kind of goes into this. QA might not be scratching that itch for that motivation, right? Yeah, definitely. Alhamdulillah. Do you see yourself staying in the health tech field? Yeah, I think in the near future, definitely. Alhamdulillah, like I'm, I'm very happy with where I am right now because I think it is the intersection of like health mm. advocacy and tech. So my company specifically, we help support patients that we're trying to enroll in an enhanced care management program. And so that means we're helping patients who are the most high needs out of the most underserved population. And I think those are often patients who are not targeted by like other health tech companies or you would not think of immediately of using like tech or like an app or anything like that to get their basic needs met. So I I enjoy that a lot. And I think that's what I've always wanted to do is again, like give healthcare and give proper healthcare and social support to the people who need it most and who can benefit from it the most. I would love to say in this path or in this sphere for a while, but I am definitely like interested in other ways that we could, you know, continue to use like tech to, again, kind of support and like uplift other communities. My other passion is food. So I would love to see how I could do that with food. But yeah, inshallah, maybe in the future. <laughs> well, clearly this is a food delivery for at-risk patients. You can put together the two. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, there's a ton of companies that are doing that actually. Yeah. So it's it's been really cool to learn about that and see kind of the intersection of those things. Absolutely. I think stuff like that really happened out of the pandemic because we could see the effects of isolation, especially on the most vulnerable communities. Mm-hmm. And I think that audience, which before was to some degree invisible, we saw how important it was that they're served. There was one project that I worked on it's called literacy and it was a visual translator for medical symptoms. So the idea yes. is for someone who can't speak English or can't see the same language as their doctor or is not literate, that they're able to record their symptoms before their doctor appointment. And then that would be fed into the doctor and he can have a nice readout and then you can just go on from there. Um, incredible. What was incredible was talking to the users 
and mm-hmm. them articulating that this is something they wanted for so long, that this something that is relatively like it's not a huge leap. It's just having pictures for these symptoms, right? But that makes yeah. such a massive impact for a lot of people. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. That's incredible. Yeah. And like tools like that, I think, can be incredibly life-changing, even if it's mm. just in the smallest step of a much longer health journey for someone. But yeah, it's like at the end of the day, it's impacting people's livelihood and giving them at least, you know, one basic thing that will allow them to live a better life, I'm sure. Oh, alhamdulillah. And I can hear the way you're talking about this. I can definitely see how you would have that very close relationship with the patients that you've been supporting. Mashallah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can hear. <laughs> I know I miss that a lot. I will say, like, I, it's. I think it's been a bit of a tougher transition being a PM, where my primary users are in a role that I used to be in now. Mm. So I don't get as much of the patient-facing work, and I think it's like I have to go a step further sometimes to remind myself what is it that we're doing, and taking a step back to think about that bigger picture. Because again, it's like. It's going back to this idea of like, who is my primary user and who is our ultimate end user? And I think kind of ultimate end user, people who are feeling the most impact of what we do are going to be the patient. And when you're going through like a frustrating period, I think it can be really difficult or easy to like lose sight of that because especially if your users are not who you know you will ultimately be impacting. Of course, of course. And I think that's why it's really important to have that connection with the user interviews and by going out where they are and talking to them so that you can always like bring that back, especially when like you're growing your company and then you have an engineering team who feels like they're disconnected from the users. Having recordings or having like those actual bits that really humanizes who we're actually impacting makes a Mm -hmm. huge difference in how you approach your work. Definitely. Yeah, it, it really does. And one thing that's been interesting to me, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but my a majority of my en- engineering team is not in the United States, but mm-hmm. the healthcare system, obviously, that we serve is in the United States. So it's like taking that extra step to also make sure that they are being filled in on this entire like holistic idea of what healthcare is in the United States, at least, has been a really enriching process because that's also something I love doing is talking about healthcare and so they listen and so fun I know it's so (laughs) great Uh, and also having to like to teach folks in a way who have no idea why the heck our system is set up the way it is and are so confused by it so doing it in a way that is very digestible for people where the health the U.S. healthcare system is extremely foreign but they're building the solution for it to be fair it is a very confusing system it is. It is incredible. I mean, I'm still confused by it on so many levels. So to expect someone from Argentina to understand Why it when it they free? don't have to yeah. experience it. Yeah. It's the constant question. I'm like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. No, I can definitely imagine that. So is Pear Team a fully remote company or is it a hybrid? Yes. Fully remote. We like now have kind of offices set up in San Francisco, New York, where people will go in and out as they need, but otherwise completely remote. That's music. That That's exactly what I like. That's where I'm most happiest. And how are you feeling with courting your team when they are completely remote, when they're in different countries, different time zones? 
Yeah. I think at first I was extremely intimidated by it. I feel like I do best interacting with people in person because I think you learn so much about a person just through their body language and learning like small things on an everyday basis that I initially thought you couldn't get from working at a remote company. I've quickly learned that's not the case. And alhamdulillah, I think I've been able to like gain really strong friendships and co-working relationships by still working remote. But it has definitely required me to be very flexible and to be very considerate, I think, of other people's time, as well as, again, boundary setting for my time. So I recently moved to the East Coast. Some of my team is still on the West Coast, but alhamdulillah, like moving to the East Coast has made it much easier for me to communicate with my Argentina team, who is only now, yeah, or like similar. They're like maybe one hour ahead. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot more overlap, but previous to that, it was me doing a lot more like early morning meetings to make sure that they weren't working late into the night or even just being like cognizant of things that are important to them, like Argentinian holidays that they should celebrate instead of having to get a random American holiday off where none of their loved ones are also off with them. Yeah. Or, you know, things like the World Cup, which is huge in Argentina. And alhamdulillah, I think having that close working relationship with them has also like you know, motivated me to be invested in the things that they love so we can bond over that. So I have my Argentina jersey ready to go for the game on Sunday and all of us will be rooting together. So they're probably going to have a better time doing it in Argentina, but you know, I get to vicariously look through that. <laughs> what what a way to appreciate the World Cup with. I mean, the only thing better would be to yeah. be doing it with like a Moroccan you know, family. But Exactly. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, that must be, this must be such an intense ride for them. So it's really great that the work is supporting them and letting them be happy. It will be funny that this episode is going to be published after the game. So oh, hopefully they're going to so, be happy. Uh, fingers <laughs> crossed. Let's see. I was like the, my only regret or like the only good thing about Morocco not advancing to the finals was that won't be Argentina, Morocco. have to be Argentina versus Morocco because now I'm like okay cool like I can just support Argentina and we can yes. all be like I have no loyalty to France here. it's fine <laughs> exactly that was not even a consideration we were good <laughs> that's so funny so, Alia, what is something that you feel most proud of? And it can be something that you've achieved at work or maybe a specific project that you worked on, but something that's like really close to your heart. That is really tough. I have been thinking about this since you sent me the questions. I was like, <laughs> oh, God, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, you um, know, it's a good end of year review. This is we're recording this right before <laughs> Christmas. So it's, it's the time for reviews. Definitely. I would say I am... I'm a humble, really proud to to be where I am. I'm going to keep that like really broad just because I think it has been a really steep learning curve for me getting into the PM role and also balancing several pivots and changes that our company has gone through, especially over the last two years, especially with the pandemic, especially yes. post-pandemic. And it felt like every few months I had to change my role in what I was doing. And I think I finally feel settled in a place where I feel confident in myself. And I think if I asked myself this last year, I would not have expected that. So alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I'm like very, very happy to say that. And more so that I can hope to use, you know, where I am right now to like guide others and like be a mentor to others and 
help other folks and especially Muslim women who do want to get into the you know tech space or into product management in the same way that I did. And I think the other thing I would say I'm I'm a proud of is being involved in other spaces outside of work. I think that for me, my like first two years working here was really difficult, especially because again, like startup life can be really demanding. And I think I reached a point where I was like, oh, wow, like work is my life and this is all I'm doing. And that was really easy to do during the pandemic when I was just home and couldn't really do anything else. So like making the intentional or being more intentional about like going out and actually being involved in communities outside of just work, I think has been really personally fulfilling. So one of those is being a part of Muslim Women in Tech, which is an organization that I'm helping out with. And it's been beautiful, again, to meet more Muslim sisters who are in tech and who really like identify with some of the experiences I've had. Another has been like trying to create more community building spaces, mm-hmm. again, with like more of a Muslim community. So, and involving food with that. So I helped put together an event last year that unfortunately, because of my move, I couldn't be involved with anymore, but it was called Try and Vibes. And I made a ton of chai and it was really like my time to be like, let's see how much chai I can make and a eventually turn, challenge to yourself. <laughs> yeah, a personal challenge and see if I could eventually turn my dream of like having a chai shop into a reality. But it was really beautiful and it was amazing because I made such incredible friends through it and was able to like break this barrier of feeling like you can't make friends in adulthood or like outside of work or whatever. So yeah, I think that was really fun. And I'm really, really glad that I was able to invest like energy and time somewhere that was not work or professional related. That's amazing. I love the name. How many times do you have to correct somebody in saying it's not chai tea, it's chai? Thankfully, not that many because the majority of the people that came were Muslims. So okay, they, do they were all on the same page. Yeah, so <laughs> But it was, that was really good. Oh, that's amazing. I hope you're able to set something up like that where you live now. That'd be really cool, inshallah. I think that's such an important thing. And it's, it can be it can be kind of difficult to get something like that started and to be the person who like is going to set that up. But there is a huge reward for when it happens and when you're able to bring a community together and make a lot of friends. I remember when I was the first, like my very first Eid as a new Muslim, the way how I introduced myself, and this is like, this feels so extra to me now, but look at this, I really did this. I made origami boxes and then put an assortment of different cookies into each of these. Bins. I love it. Yes. <laughs> and then I went around and just gave them to strangers who look kind of my age. That I, I love that. <laughs> also, Grace, you have no idea how close I ha- I was to doing the same thing after moving to Boston. So people I love it and they'll always remember this. you. Exactly. Like all you're really missing, like a little card of being like, hit me up this for is friendship my later. <laughs> so we had, I mean, I don't think I had a difficult time finding friends in Boston, but it was definitely a different experience being yeah. adults and being like, where's the place that other young adults hang out here? So by week two, again, had not been that long. My husband was like, I think I'm going to start printing out business cards that have our names on it and our availability 
of when we can hang out and just go to like you know halal (laughs) restaurants and we'll just start passing them out be like for friendship like please call Mosadar Ali and here's one part of the whole to hang out I'm glad we did not have to get to that point but we were getting very very close to it so I think the cookie boxes are better yeah clearly we would be friends in real life since we're approaching this in a very smoker way (laughs) I I think so yeah (laughs) You're just like one step away from on a bulletin board looking for a friend. Call Alia. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There was just, there just was no shame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> going back to the question, what is what is something that you regret or you wish that you had done differently? Yeah. Um. I think like going back to your first question where I thought like, oh, tech is only a space for folks who are developers. I wish I had it. I I guess like closed myself off to that earlier and given myself the opportunity to explore roles or explore tech in general earlier on, especially when I was in undergrad. I think at that time I was so dead set and being like, I have to go into medicine, which means I have to be a doctor that I didn't consider all of the other options. And I think I'll come when I finally gave myself the space to think about, like, is this the right career move for me is when I finally opened myself up to it. And I was like, OK, maybe not. And maybe we should consider other fields. But I think I'll like even right now, I am learning so much about like all these other roles and opportunities and all of the incredible and cool things you can do. And it helps me. I think it helps my younger self feel better knowing that it's OK to be a generalist. And be interested in everything or like several things. Like you yeah. don't have to close yourself off and give yourself tunnel vision just to achieve that one thing. And I think what I used to think was my weakness is alhamdulillah a strength now. And I wish I knew that earlier. There was an interesting article that I read a long time ago. And as usual, my brain is just kind of going over the headline. So paraphrasing a lot. Yeah. But there's the idea that we are... For the most part in our lives, we are generalists. We'll go into a a specialist every so often. Every couple of years, we'll go really deep dive into something. But for the most part, we have a very general way of we learn things, how we approach things. And that goes back to how we pivot throughout our life. So we might find that we do a deep dive when we specialize into one area. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we do a pivot and then we have a more general mindset and we dive into something else. So there's always this cycle of rotation of our learning and how we're evolving as people and how we're evolving and what we learn and what we know. And it's just part of the journey, right? So we don't want to limit ourselves to or close ourselves off to anything. It's just, and as Muslims, our framework is that whatever we're learning, whatever opportunities Allah is putting us in, putting in our way, that's something that's always going to bring us closer to him. That's always something that's going to evolve us into our best forms into our best, you know, way of being ourself, way of thinking. Yeah. No, subhanAllah. That was, I think, an incredible way to say it. Cause I think I've I, I feel like I've opened myself up to my faith even more by opening myself up to I think other interests and opportunities in that way. And even now, like, you know, inshallah slowly getting used to the idea of that like one career is not going to be your entire life. And it's okay to also even just completely pivot careers, whether it be away from tech or away from PM, you know, inshallah, eventually that I think helps me feel more excited about, you know, more life 
that is to come and whatever Allah has in store for me. That's it. Alhamdulillah. My husband and I were just having this conversation today, just like going over normal work annoyances. And we were like, how did the last generation stay in the same company, working with the same people their whole careers? How do you just put up with this day in and day out? I know. And subhanAllah that they did. I think it it's incredible, but I think I had the same realization when I was like, I can't take career advice from my parents <laughs> Because their their ideal is definitely just like you gotta it's just so stay different. Today. Yeah. Stay here forever. It's a job and you're blessed to have it. Say yeah. alhamdulillah and like don't look anywhere just put else. It up. Yeah. yeah. Alhamdulillah. What is something or someone that you're most grateful of your career so far? I would definitely say all of the women in my life. I think it has always been an empowering experience to hear about careers and career growth or academic growth from my really close friends. And like, alhamdulillah, having a community of women that constantly like build each other up and give each other that advice or are able to just vent about their frustrations in the workplace or help you feel less alone. Um, And I think especially Muslim women, because I do think that our experiences are very unique, sometimes not in the best way when it comes to the workplace, even when it's remote, surprisingly. So it's been really great in that way. And, you know, being involved, especially in like more like Muslim women in tech spaces, I think has given me that support and that solidarity. So even if I didn't receive like direct mentorship from someone, just like hearing them talk or having a conversation with them or listening to a podcast or any of those things has like given me a lot of the comfort and the inspiration that I think I needed to move forward. And this is going to be really cheesy, but another person I'm very grateful for is my husband. Yeah. (laughs) So because he is just like the funniest character to me still in that he is, I thought I was an extrovert until I met him. And then I was like, oh my God, am I an introvert? Because <laughs> much like he was very extrovert. But this he, sounds really extreme. <laughs> I don't. He's great. He's, he's great though. But I think he's, he's also been someone that humble, like does not have this like shame when it comes to approaching people and wanting to build friendships and network and communicate with others on a professional or non-professional level. And so he's always been the one that's like kind of pushed me, right? Be like, wow, I think this person is so cool for what they're doing in this professional space. And you'd be like, you should email them. You should talk to them. You should call them. You should text them. You should approach them. And I, what, I previously had a ton of anxiety over, which I think prevented me from building those really incredible networks is what I think he's encouraged me to get over. So, you know, alhamdulillah, I'm really thankful for that because it even is what, you know, allowed me to meet you and send you that LinkedIn and be like, I think you're really cool. I love to connect. So I, I owe that to him for sure. Well, I am very grateful to him now as well. Yeah. <laughs> alhamdulillah, but... I think that is such an important lesson to learn. I would describe myself as an ambivert. So I'm very comfortable like messaging people online, but going up to somebody in person, like a. But when you message somebody, like when you sent me that message, it just made me feel really happy. And I wanted to know you more. People I know in Texas, they just put up a lot of like inner resistance about reaching out for help, putting messages out there, especially for strangers. One is here to help you. Right. Mm-hmm. 
uh, especially when we're talking about women from the same communities, we have this natural vested interest in wanting you to succeed. We want to help you. We want you to do your best. By all means, reach out because it just makes us feel really happy. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. I completely agree with that. And to your point, I have felt the same way when people have reached out to me. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think when you're doing the reverse, like all of the the anxiety and like the worst case scenarios pop up of, you know, even feeling rejected if that person doesn't reply to you or whatever that may be. But I think especially when it's been like reaching out to other women, I think I've only been met with like so much warmth and support and kindness and like mentorship that has like turned into friendship. And Mm -hmm. I'm incredibly thankful for that. Alhamdulillah. And even when we're talking about worst case scenarios, usually the worst case is that they don't say anything. That is just Mm -hmm. a ghost. No one is ever, or they just say a polite no. No one's ever going to say like, ew, this is stupid. Why did you message me? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Definitely. It's the like earth isn't going to swallow you up. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> yes. Alhamdulillah. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add? Any last bits of advice? I, uh, I would say like maybe just lack the end advice. And like, I think something that I have really been wrestling with is even being in a remote space. Well, I think I'm protected in a lot of ways from maybe potential obstacles, like social obstacles I could have faced in the workplace. I'm extremely thankful because I just have to like block off my calendar and I can pray in my room where I work Mm. from. I don't have to like go out of my way to do those things. But, you know, I think especially like as a Muslim woman in the tech space and in any workplace, like still advocate for yourself, like no matter what it may be, it may be the smallest thing, but still like push and advocate for yourself because you don't know what change that could be making for the next person that comes along and how that could impact you advocating for another person in your space. Yeah, I think that has been something I've had to constantly remind myself of, especially as now like, I'm a, like my company is also like growing and there's more people than I can count when previously I could count them all on one hand is remembering that I, I you know, some of us really do set the tone of what could, you know, take up a person's majority of their day and their life. So might as well do it in the best way that we can and follow like our Islamic guidelines and trying to create like, the healthiest space for everyone. Mm, that's perfect. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for coming on. It has been so much fun talking to you and I've really, really enjoyed this. Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much, Grace. It's been great talking to you too. And thank you for creating this space. I really appreciate it. And as always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. If you liked it and you like what we're doing at Tech Sisters, consider following us, leaving a review, sharing this episode with any friends, or even supporting us on Patreon. All of those really help us a lot. This is a completely nonprofit organization. We're just doing this for Sadaka. So anything that helps more Muslim women find us and discover us and hear the stories is immensely helpful. And if you are a Muslim woman in tech, please go ahead and check out our community. It is completely free and fun and very supportive. You can join by going to our website at tech-sisters.com and filling out the membership form and you will get a link right away into our Slack. So it's really, really easy. And that is all for me. And I'll see you next week. Assalamu alaikum.